Good morning, Living Water. Are you glad to be here this morning? Good deal. Um, happy 4th. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we celebrate our freedom in our country, and I'm thankful that we still live in a country that's free. Free to assemble to worship, free to just go cook out if you want to, free to jump in a car and go anywhere you want to. It is good to be free. Amen? Let's don't take it for granted. There are people across the country, across the world that don't have the same freedoms that we have. And so, as David said, I would ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. And we're in a parable series over the summer called The Moral of the Story. And about a third of the teachings of Jesus were in the form of parables. A parable is just simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He would use things that maybe people would understand um, in the natural, and he would reveal to them a spiritual truth or a kingdom principle that he wanted them to know. And so over this year, we've been just in this theme of focused on Jesus, who he was, who he is, what he did, what he taught, and what it means. And so we're kind of in that area right now, what he taught. This is just in the teachings of Christ. And I got to just be honest with you this morning. Today's message is one that might be hard for some of us to hear because the subject is forgiveness. Does anybody in the room ever struggle with forgiveness, right? I'm glad that no one does, right? I figured that was probably preaching in the choir. No one has a problem with forgiveness. But the reality is, it's something that each one of us will struggle with from time to time. And I just want you to know my heart. My heart is, I struggle just like you do. Uh, I wrestle with this idea of forgiveness, this command of Jesus to forgive, to be a forgiving people. Someone caught me after the service and they said, uh, and I'll probably mess up the quote, but they said, to dwell with people above is glory, to dwell with people below, well, that's another story. The reality is one day we'll be in heaven, free from the presence of sin, it'll be amazing, but while we wait for that day, we dwell among people who are messed up, right? Some of you don't look to your neighbor to the next, to the, to the side of you, but we, we deal with messed up people every day, don't we? And so the potential for being offended or sinned against is there every day, and so we will, for the rest of our lives on this earth, wrestle with this topic of forgiveness. And so I believe it's a very important story, a very important lesson that Jesus wants us to all get this morning. And so if you're uh, in chapter 18, you're familiar with that. Chapter 18, to give you kind of an overview, Jesus has approached and he's asked two questions. The first question is he's saying, hey, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus takes a child who's next to him and he pulls him close to Jesus and he says, unless you become like these little children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. These children are precious and temptation is inevitable, right? The opportunities to sin, but woe to the person that causes one of these little ones to sin. It would be better for that person if they tied a a millstone around his neck and threw him in the deepest part of the sea. Jesus cares about his sheep. In fact, he throws that little parable in there again about the 99, leaving the 99 to go after the one. Jesus wants to restore those who fall into sin. And so as we deal with each other in the context of the family of believers in Christ, um, there will be times when we're offended by other brothers and sisters. Maybe I've offended you. Maybe you've offended me. And so he goes on to talk about the process by which we go. Before you kick somebody out of the fellowship, he's like, this is how you deal with offenses. If a brother offends you, you go to that brother privately and you say, hey, here's what you did and here's how that made me feel. And this was the the offense. And it says in that moment, if the brother um, acknowledges it and says, like, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry. I was just, what was I thinking? I don't know. Then in that moment, you've received your brother back. And I think most times when I've seen that practiced in the church, it's amazing how great God uses his word. His word's truth, Right. And so when you go to somebody and you, and you do that in humility and they respond to it, it's, it's quickly restored. That's awesome. But many times we struggle with that concept of forgiveness. And so what we do is we get offended and we go to Facebook. 
We get offended and we go to Instagram. We get offended and we grab the telephone. Or we get offended and we talk to our, our friends about it. And so we build up this anxiety. We build up this frustration, this resentment, even this desire to see revenge on the person who caused us an offense. And Jesus has something to say about that. So in talking about forgiveness, Peter then asks the question, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me. Now, Peter's thinking that he is being generous, right? Because in the Old Testament times, the Jewish teachings, they looked at passages in Amos that said God will forgive a, a person's transgressions like three times. And after that, his judgment. And so they kind of adopted this attitude that you just forgive people three times, that's it. Peter approaches Jesus and he says, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And he thinks Jesus is going to give him an attaboy because he's being generous. I'll double that six times and I'll add one just for good measure. Jesus is surely going to be proud of me like, wow, Peter, that's very generous. So he says, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? I can see him waiting for Jesus' response. And then Jesus answers that, and he says, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I know some of you in the room, you're thinking, I got people that I'm like 436 right now. We're this close, right? We're done. Jesus is teaching that it's not a number, it is limitless, the, the forgiveness that we are to show our brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be a lifestyle. So as you hear me teach this this morning, open your hearts to what God might want to share with you. I spent some time on my knees this morning just searching my heart and saying, God, if I'm going to preach it, I want to make sure I'm walking in it. So you show me if there's something here you want me to grab a hold of today. And so just so you know, I don't write books. I'm not good at it. This is his book, and his, his book is truth. And if we let it uh, uh, penetrate our hearts, it has a way of just changing us into the people that he wants us to be. So hear his word this morning as we dive into this parable of the unmerciful servant. Let me pray one more time. Father, this is your word. We acknowledge that your word is truth, and you say that you sanctify us by your word. And so my heart is that today we, each one in this room, would have open ears to hear, open eyes to see, and a heart that is receptive of the truth that you might want to sow into our heart today. Lord, I think that we could all acknowledge that forgiveness is very difficult, and for some it seems like it's just a, a hurdle that they could never overcome. But Father, we know that we can, and we know that you expect it of us as well. And so, Father, I pray that you just help us to be attentive today to what you might want to share with us as we look through your teaching in this parable. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> We've all been offended from time to time, and <clears throat> some of those are easier than others. I drive down the road, and somebody waves at me that one finger, you know, in Texas that everybody's really good at. And I usually just laugh about it. I'll smile, and I might even blow them a kiss just to be honoring. Or smiling real big and wave, and it just makes them angry. And it doesn't bother me that bad. Now, back in the day, I would chase them down and want to talk to them. <clears throat> Maybe relocate their fingers for them. But um, that was the old shame. But the new shame is like, you know, it just doesn't bother me. But here's what I've learned. It, as you do life with other people and you get close to people, it's the ones that you're closest to that can hurt you the most, right? As you build these relationships and you're close to them and they do something and it doesn't just hurt, it hurts. And it leaves this huge scar. And in that moment, we're... You know, just beginning the process of struggling through and, you know, facilitating what it looks like to be, you know, walking in either disobedience or obedience with forgiveness or unforgiveness. And so we'll look at the question, the answer, and then Jesus gives us this parable. And within this parable, I think Jesus wants us to know something. He wants them to know uh, some things. And so we'll share that. And then there's the warning at the end in verse 35 <clears throat> that Jesus 
um, gives to his disciples and I believe gives to us as well. So uh, let's look at that. In verse 22, he says, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Again, this is just not a number, but he's showing Peter, hey, Peter, it's not about counting. It is a lifestyle. We are to be a forgiving people. Verse 23, he says, therefore, <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. So just a reminder, the kingdom of heaven is like. So this is a descriptive parable where he's saying, hey, this is what life looks like in the kingdom. As a follower of Christ, you belong to his kingdom. This is what it looks like to live in the context of that kingdom. Now this parable is also hyperbole. And if you know what hyperbole is, it is an illustration that is exaggerated. right? So we say, it's raining cats and dogs. Is it raining cats and dogs? No, that's hyperbole. We're saying it's raining heavy, right? Or this book weighs a ton. Does it weigh a ton? No, it's just a heavy book. You get where I'm coming from, right? So this is hyperbole, and Jesus uses these extreme examples to just show the absurdity in this one area, just to show us and to make this point to drive it home. And so he says, a man owes a debt. Verse 24 says, in the process, the king's going to settle the accounts with the servants that had borrowed money from him. In verse 24, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Or some of your versions might say 10,000 talents. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owed to pay the debt. So in their day, that was very common. If you owed a debt and you couldn't pay it, they could literally take you to a debtor's prison and you would work that debt off. It was very common. So what happens, verse 26, it says, But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all back, basically. Verse 27, Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Now, just... Imagine for a moment, you're hearing Jesus tell this story. A man owes millions of dollars, if you will, and his master forgives him of that debt. How many know that's a pretty cool thing? If you're the one that owed the millions of dollars in debt, you're like, that's a huge thing, right? And so at this point in the parable, Jesus is like, hey, that's, that's a pretty amazing deal that just happened. That the king released this man of all of his debt, forgiving him of all that debt. And I might also add that throughout Scripture, the word forgiveness is always tied to sin. And so there's always this tying together of the sin as a debt and forgiveness of the sin. And so he says the king forgives him of this great, great debt. So verse 28 says, But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. In contrast to this huge debt he owed, another friend of his only owed a little bit, a few thousand dollars. He says he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and just like he had done earlier, he begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Can you imagine what the listeners are probably feeling right now in this story that Jesus is telling? One guy's forgiven this huge amount and he goes out to another guy that owes him a little amount and he is just ruthless on this other brother. I would be offended if I'm a listener in this story right now, right? And so Jesus says that when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And I think that's true. I think that as followers of Christ, we should be upset when we see other believers that are not living in a way that's accordance to what we've been taught. Like the mercy that we're shown and when we're not willing to show mercy to others, I think it should bother the church, right? He says the, 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 the servants saw this. 
And it says it bothered them. They were very upset. So they went to the king and told him everything that happened. Hey, king, you just relieved this guy of all this debt. And now he's going to a fellow brother that owes little in comparison. And he's he's choked him. He's taking him to prison right now to pay that debt back. What does the king do? It says, verse 32, Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. The one that he had just relieved of the debt. He says, all right, now, no, no, you're going to go until you pay the entire debt. And then Jesus gives this zinger, this, this warning at the end of the parable. He says, Verse 35, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Ouch, that's a pretty heavy parable, isn't it? And so as I said earlier, I think that we all understand that God's word is truth and and we need to apply that truth in our lives. But there are some that are a little harder to apply than others. And in this area of forgiveness, I would say sometimes it's really difficult. And I think the reason it's difficult is because we try to, um, you know, like put levels of sins against us, you know, different levels. And we say, some things are not a big deal, but pastor, you don't know what I went through. And I may have not seen or known what you've gone through, and it may be huge to you. And I think the temptation is to say, you know what, I'm justified in my anger and my resentment and my desire to see justice or revenge come to the one that offended me. But what does Jesus Say Jesus says, as followers of Christ, that we are to be like he is, and he being forgiving, we should also be forgiving of others as well. Now, what this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you restore a relationship. Some relationships are dangerous, and you don't need to be in an abusive relationship. It doesn't mean that all that goes back to what it was before. It just simply means that you release them of the debt. You forgive them. You release them of that um, obligation on your mind for them to repay for what they had done to you. Does that make sense? You release them of that debt. So forgiveness is a serious thing. And so here's what I believe Jesus wants them to know in telling this parable and what he wants us to know as well. Number one, our sins are beyond repayment. Think about that for a second. The first person, he says, he owed millions of dollars or 10,000 talents. Now, I've got ADHD, so just forgive me for a moment. But in my office, I sit down with a calculator, and I'm like, okay, so what is that? What is 10,000 talents? And this is not a doctrinal truth that we need to know, but just for the sake of understanding the, the, the extreme example that Jesus is giving, let's just play with numbers for a moment. If Jesus were telling this story today, and he said, hey, 10,000 talents, what is a talent? A talent is a weight of measure that they would weigh out silver and gold with, right? So a talent was 75 pounds. So 75 pounds they would put on a scale. On the other side, they would put some coins. And when it balanced out, that was the amount that was there, one talent. And so it says this man owed 10,000 talents. I started, what was a talent? How much does that come out to? About 6,000 denarii. Now, if you paid attention to a couple weeks ago, a denarii was one day's wage. So follow me here. So one day's wage today is like seven twenty-five an hour. That's forty-eight bucks a day. And if you take that and say that's six thousand days' wages, it's like three hundred forty-eight thousand dollars. How many know that's huge already? But he doesn't say just one talent. He says ten thousand talents. And so ten thousand times that three hundred forty-eight. Listen to this: is three point almost five billion with a B dollars. If he were telling the story today, it's absurd. And that's what makes this almost laughable. That the guy begs for mercy. Give me time, and I'll pay it back. Yeah, right. Over multiple lifetimes, it's impossible to do. 
And so what Jesus is showing us here is that when it comes to our sin, that's where we're at beyond repayment. There's nothing that we could ever do, ever enough, to be able to be made right in his sight on our own. We can work hard, we can give money, we can go to church, we can be kind to people. You can do all of these wonderful things, and they're great, but the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him. So there's nothing that we could ever do to be able to repay the debt of sin that we owe to God. Are you following me? So what he's saying is our sins are beyond repayment. Man couldn't repay. Pleads for mercy. It says the master has compassion on him. He's filled with pity, and then he released him and forgave him his debt. And so the next thing that I think Jesus wants us to see here is that God has canceled our debt through the gospel. Man, that's good news, church. Because there's nothing that I could ever do to be able to earn salvation, right? And I mentioned something in worship about being righteous, right? We, we're never righteous enough. But through the gospel, when Jesus came and died on the cross for the sins of the world, my sins and your sins included, he died and he paid the penalty for those sins. And now the Bible says that when God looks at us, he sees us through the sacrifice of what his son did. And he said, you, those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, have been made righteous by the blood of Christ. You're accepted because of what Christ did for you. How many of you are grateful for the fact that God has canceled our debt through the gospel? Your faces don't look like it. I'm just saying, you look, you look mad at me. That's good news, right? Our, our debt has been canceled. That's what Jesus wants us to know. Through the gospel, that debt can be. I don't care how bad you are, how big that debt is, this absurd amount of sin, when we confess that sin to him and we trust him for salvation, that is wiped clean and has been canceled of our debt. That's good news. And I don't think anybody struggles with that idea of forgiveness, do we? Like, aren't you grateful that God forgives us of our sins? When you think about it, you're like, man, I was a dirtbag. And that sin was stacked up against me. And for God to release that, wow, how great is our God. Does anybody ever think that way? I think we should. I think we should be reminded often that, you know what, our sin was so great and he forgave such a great, great sin. He's canceled our debt. And so the next thing I think that Jesus wants us to see in verse 28, which says, that man went out and he found a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars or 100 denarii. 100 days wages is about 5,800 bucks. So you see the contrast in today's terms, $3.5 billion versus 4,800 bucks, or 5,800 bucks. It's a pretty significant contrast, isn't it? And, and so here's what I think Jesus wants us to know. Offenses that are committed against us by others are small by comparison. Now, what I'm not saying is insignificant, like what happens to you or to me is of no concept, it's no big deal. I'm not saying it's not significant, but I'm saying compared to the sin debt that we had that we were forgiven, it's small by comparison. Amen? So no matter what we go through in this life, nothing could ever compare to what Jesus went through as a righteous person who came who had no sin, and he took the sins of the world on his back. And when he was crucified on the cross, he says to his father, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. Right? And so whatever might happen to us on this planet, no matter how bad it can be, it can be huge. It can be one of the most difficult things you'll ever overcome. But by comparison, when we put ourselves in the position and look at what God has done for us, it doesn't even come close. Because as I said already, there's no one righteous, not one, and there's no way we would ever be good enough to, to inherit eternal life. That's 
through the grace of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So offenses committed against us by others are small by comparison. And the next thing I think Jesus wants us to see is, and this is a huge one, I think sometimes we try to skirt by this, and this is why I said I don't write books, I'm not good at it, so I'll just read his, right? And his is good. And so if you're going to be mad, don't shoot the messenger. It's his word. Talk to him about it. And here's what he wants us to know. God expects us as followers of Christ. He expects us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Think about that for just a moment. He expects us to forgive as we have been forgiven. How were we forgiven? What kind of forgiveness was it? Think of Psalm 103. Now, the word forgiveness is not here, but I think you get the picture. Listen to what it says. It says, he forgives all my sins. How many sins? Now, aren't you glad that God doesn't say, hey, I'll forgive you of these sins, but that one over there, mm -mm, no way, buddy, only partially. I'm grateful that it's a complete and total forgiveness, right? He forgives us of all of our sins. It says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins so far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Aren't you grateful for the forgiveness that is shown to us from God? And so that's the type of forgiveness that has been shown to us. And I says, you should forgive as you have been forgiven. In fact, you go back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is teaching them how to pray. Teach us how to pray. He says, what do you say? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And what does it say? Lead us, uh, forgive us of our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. Amen. After that, Jesus says, for if you forgive others, your father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive, your father will not forgive you. It's pretty serious, this idea of forgiveness. In Luke 17, he says, if your brother comes to you and he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times he says, hey, I repent, I'm sorry. He says, you forgive him seven times. It's a, a lifestyle of forgiveness. As we have been forgiven, he says that we are to exercise that same forgiveness to our brothers and sisters when they sin against us. Easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. But he expects it. Listen to what Jesus said, you evil servant. Who's he calling the evil servant? The one who was shown so much mercy, who then goes out to the, the other guy that owes le less and chokes him and demands payment. And here's what he says, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? That's why he's called the unmerciful servant. He was shown mercy, and he didn't show mercy. And he says, shouldn't you have done that? That was his expectation, right? And so God expects us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And here's verse 34. Um, this, this one's kind of a big one. It says, then the, the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now, I don't believe this is talking about loss of salvation, how he is talking about brothers, because Peter starts with, how, how often should I forgive? The New Living Translation says someone, but it means my brother. How often should I forgive the brother when he sins against me? So in the context of the fellowship, it's a pretty serious deal. So we know that when we're refusing to exercise forgiveness, that we're commanded to do so, that it, it, it can bring anger to God. And I just, I don't like that picture of an angry God, right? 
But I think of it like a father. As a father who loves their children, when you've got a son or a daughter that's absolutely rebellious, what do we do? If we love them, we will correct them, right? We will discipline them. Not because we're mean or we hate them, but because we want to correct the behavior. And so what I, I think we need to understand is when we refuse, the results will be that God is angry over that rebellion and some form of punishment may follow. And I don't know what that punishment may look like, but maybe it's just the consequences of walking in that disobedience. I read a couple of articles, one from John Hopkins Hospital and the other one um, from, where was it from? I forgot now. Uh, Mayo Clinic on this idea of forgiveness as it affects our health. Have you ever thought about, does forgiveness or unforgiveness affect your health? I haven't, but listen to what they said. There's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed, says Karen Swartz, medical doctor, director of the Mood Disorders Audit, or excuse me, Adult Consultation Clinic at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Chronic anger puts you into flight or fight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, <clears throat> leading to improved health. Whether it's a spat with your spouse or long-held resentment toward a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. And I wonder sometimes if God says, all right, you want to be rebellion in that? You want to refuse to be obedient to forgiving other people? You know what? You're just going to experience the side effects that go with carrying that resentment, that anger, and that bitterness. And it's going to affect your physical health. The good news is, they said, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels, and sleep, reducing pain and blood pressure. And I'm sure there's a, a myriad of other reasons why it's good for us to practice forgiveness. But do you, do you hear what he's saying? This idea of forgiveness is not just... Uh, for us, yeah, if you get around to it, this is something I'd like for you to do. It's commanded of us. It's not something that he says, if you feel like it, because let me just newsflash, you'll never feel like forgiving. Ever. You're never going to wake up and go, you know, I just feel like forgiving somebody for being a jerk today. But it's an act of our obedience. It's an act of the will. We say, you know what, I'm being obedient to God and what he said, and I'm going to, as an act of my will, forgive them just because he told me to do it. And here's what I've learned. When I've been obedient to do that, it doesn't take long before my emotions start to catch up with that obedience, right? And so I'm like, God, I don't feel like it, but I, I just want to forgive so-and-so for what they've done, and I pray about it, and, and it doesn't take long before I start feeling compassion for that person who's offended me. I even start praying, God, would you bless them? I don't want to see them punished. God, I, I, I ask that you would just show them mercy. Maybe they weren't thinking about what they did. Maybe they didn't know what they were doing. And so the idea of forgiveness is a, is a, is a big, big deal. So someone who refuses to forgive is either A, I, and this is a strong statement, but you've got to think about it, is truly not a believer because to be a believer you have to realize your debt of sin, right? It, you have to realize your need for a Savior. And to realize your need for a Savior is to see your sin and to see that debt is so huge that you'll never be able to make it on your own and to acknowledge, be merciful to me, Lord. I, these sins are many. I need you to forgive me of my sins. And trust in him for salvation. That's how we become believers. And so if you refuse, you're absolutely, nope, nope, not in a million years I won't do it. I would question, are you genuinely a child of God? Because in our very nature should be to forgive as we've been forgiven. At the very worst, at the very best, it's we don't understand the level of forgiveness that we have been shown. The mercy shown by God. Amen? 
So how do we treat offenses? Well, let me say this before. What's the moral of the story? We've been saying that throughout this series. What is the moral of the story of this parable? We see what Jesus wants us to know. What's the moral? We are obligated as followers of Christ, obligated because of the Father's infinite mercy toward us to treat with unconditional mercy our fellow believers who sin against us. That's the moral of the story. That's what Jesus is teaching in this. So how do we apply this? How should we treat offenses? How many of you ever played the game hot potato as a kid? You know the idea of that game, right? You know, you're throwing a ball around. Hot potato, hot potato. And the idea is to get rid of it as soon as possible. Why? Because it's hot. And I would like to think that offenses are like that too. When somebody offends you, someone sins against you, it's like the the ball has been thrown into your hands and it's a hot potato. By hot, I mean toxic, right? The longer you hang on to it, the more damage it's going to do. And so it would behoove us as followers of Christ to get good at getting rid of it as quickly as possible, right? So I get offended and I'm like, ooh, hot potato, I don't want none of that, right? And so Jesus, I just give that to you right now. I forgive them. And here's what I've learned. It's easier to do sooner rather than later because the longer you wait, the more awkward it gets. And I'll tell you this, when someone offends you, everything that person does from there forward is an irritant to you. You don't like the way they comb their hair, the way they wash their truck, right? The way they drive or the way they talk, like, huh. You just start getting irritated at everything they do when we hang on to the offenses. So we need to treat it like a hot potato. Like this is toxic. I need to get rid of it as soon as possible and cancel the debt of the one who offended you. I think that's what we need to learn and apply today. Now here's the reality is we don't do that because we're human. As I said earlier, to dwell with people above is glory, but to dwell with people below, well, that's another story. Because it's difficult living in this world, Right? And the closer someone is to you, the harder the offense and the harder it is to overcome that. But I just think there's a divine healing and it's just awesome whenever we can say, you know what? Yes, that was a horrible, horrible thing that's been done to me. And while I might in my flesh try to justify it and think that my, you know, I've got to one-up on everybody else. Nobody's been offended as bad as I've been offended. And I feel like I'm entitled to a little bit of, you know, resentment and anger and I want revenge. And like, it can't compare to what Jesus experienced. It's small by comparison. But we get to that point when we say, you know what, I, looking at it from a human filter, like look at it from his and say, God, I, when I compare me and my sin and how much you've forgiven me, this is really nothing. And what you're calling me to do is be obedient, right? And so I choose out of obedience to forgive whoever it is, whatever they've done, for what they've done. And here's the other thing is I'm not a good judge. I'm not a good judge. I think sometimes I can nail some things, but I'm not perfect. There's only one righteous judge. And he's in heaven. And so when we forgive, <clears throat> it's like we're releasing the debt that is owed to us of the offense, right? The, you know, you owe me, uh, and, and, and we're just building it up. It's like you're releasing that, and you're putting it in God's celestial court where God is a righteous judge. He knows what's best. And at that point, I'm just like, you know what, God? I, I pray that you would just work in their heart, and you would change them, and maybe that they would find you. And if it's another believer, that they would repent of that, and we could restore whatever, whatever God wants you to do in that. And here's the thing. I don't know your story. I know mine. And as I said this morning, I was <clears throat> on my knees going to God about this. Like, all right, God, I feel like I'm a pretty forgiving individual. Is there someone that I need to forgive? Have I been truly forgiving of somebody who's offended me? And two people came to uh, view. Don't worry, you're not here today. You're good. But in that moment, I said, all right, God, did I forgive them? I said, yes, I did. I, I remember that. I mean, we even talked together. And I've forgiven them. 
But I thought, well, just in case I'm harboring any kind of resentment or anything else, God, I, I, just, I, I just want you to know I still forgive them. And I still don't want you to punish them for what they've done to me. I, I pray that you show your mercy and your grace to them. And I hope they're doing okay. I really do. We're not going to connect back together and build relationships and go forward there. But I honestly can say from my heart, I've forgiven. And I don't know about you and where you're at. But I would simply ask you, again, not Shane's words. This is not something that we come up with as a church. Like This is just one of the rules of the church. This is God's word. And if we call ourselves followers of Christ and we believe that we're saved by his grace and we realize the, the, just the gravity of the weight of our sin that has been released and free, we've been free from, then, my friends, I believe that should change our perspective and say, you know what, we ought to be really quick at practicing forgiveness, no matter how hard it is, right? And like that game of hot potato, it's easier the quicker we do it. And I pray that we're just obedient, obedient to what he calls us to do. As I said, it's not an easy one, but it is his word, and his word is truth. And he says that he sanctifies us by his truth, and so my hope would be that we'd all grow just a little bit more today in our relationship. So where are you at? How do you need to respond? That's between you and God, but perhaps you go home and you God, is there? And you already know. You're probably already thinking about it, right? Like, I, yeah, I know exactly who it is, and I know what I need to do. And then maybe you just need to go get with God and say, God, I want to I want to be obedient to that, and I want to forgive them and release that. And if uh, there's an opportunity for, and here's what God does sometimes, it's kind of awkward, but he always has a tendency of making your paths cross. After that, you're like, oh, this is awkward, right? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, in some instances, there's an opportunity for you to say, hey, I just want you to know what you did to me was a real big hurt to me, and, and uh, I mean, I've forgiven you for that. They may receive it, and they may not. But Matthew 18 says, if you go to your brother and you tell him the sin against you, and they hear it, then you've gained your brother back. And I think that's the heart of God. The restoring heart of God. So may we understand and grab a hold of this truth uh, that the forgiveness that we were to show should look like the forgiveness that we've been shown, which is huge. And I think it takes an act of heaven to be able to take that step of obedience in our hearts. Amen? Can't do it in our own flesh, but with him we can. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your challenge and your word. Lord, I'll have to confess that we sometimes... We kind of skirt over that one. We don't want to talk about forgiveness because we feel entitled to be able to nurse and hang on and massage that grudge or that offense that has been done toward us. And in this moment right now, God, we want to confess to you that that's sin. Unforgiveness is sin. It's disobedience. It's unmerciful as we saw in the parable of the second guy. Lord, we don't want to be that guy. Lord, it's possible there are people that are going through situations in life right now and they're wondering, why is everything just against me? And it, it very well could be just because of our disobedience and it's your loving hand of discipline and correction uh, that's just allowing us to uh, experience the results of disobedience. And so if that's the case, God, I pray that we would see the error of our ways and we would confess that to you and we would be quick to exercise the same forgiveness that you've shown to us. God, we know that it's impossible to do in the flesh. Our culture is all against it. Um, we feel somewhat justified and uh, like it's the right thing to do to hold a grudge. But God, it's, um, we, we understand that the way of the kingdom is different. And you're telling us that's what it's like, is to be forgiving as we have been forgiven. So Lord, would you help us to walk in that obedience today? And I don't know where everybody's at, but you do. And Lord, I pray that you would just press on our hearts a little bit. Just press enough that we not just go out the door and let this message just fall by the wayside, but that we let it penetrate into our hearts and, and, and develop uh, that, that seed, develop a root in our heart, and that we would act in obedience. And Lord, at the end of the day, it's for your glory. 
Lord, we ask all these things, and I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.